Hello, this is DK. Welcome to the Wheelprint Podcast, created to uncover the inside game of adaptive athletes. They're untold stories of what drives them and makes them tick. So be prepared to be inspired as we discover the trials and triumphs of the human spirit. Enjoy this show. Yo, yo, DK in the house. Very excited to have with me today on Martin Luther King Day. I had a dream. The one and only Rose Hollerman, a junior standout in the NWBA or the National Wheelchair Basketball Association from Minnesota, made her first USA Paralympic team as a teenager, 16 years of age, if I'm not mistaken, possibly the youngest ever. Also went to uh, college on a wheelchair basketball scholarship at the University of Texas Arlington and where she studied through 2019 elementary education and uh, was able to uh, be very successful in Rio de Janeiro as a member of the 2016 team, winning a gold medal. Currently on the uh, Tokyo Paralympic team uh, and, and waiting for another shot at gold. And we're coming to you from Rose's new home, a uh, temporary home in in Spain in the Canary Islands, and uh, she's playing professionally, which means to all you listeners, she's getting paid to play the game she yeah. loves. And uh, on an all men's team, it needs to be pointed out, and we're going to get into some of the nuances of that as we move forward. But Rose, I just wanted to welcome you, dear one. So good to see that spirit and smile of yours. And uh, again, glad to have you. Glad to be here. You had to mention that you were my coach on my first team. Yeah, yeah. You know, I probably would get into that as we move forward. But yeah, you know, uh, our first uh, uh, encounter in that kind of a role was when you were very, very young, my dear. And now uh-huh. we might we might call you a veteran, you know, for good good God. Been ten years. I <laughs> I think I am a veteran now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Uh, before we uh, get into the uh, you know the basketball side of things, which is where you know everybody expects me to go right away, I would think. But uh, <laughs> I want to get to the soulful side of you and maybe talk about family. Anyone that I've had on so far, family has been just in that critical role of support, you know, and uh, I'm sure it's not much different with you. Uh, I got to know John and Michelle through the uh, through the 2012 uh, journey and uh, I I could see the love and pride that they had. And uh, and then we've had talks about your brother, Seth, and his outdoor interests, as well as yours. So where did uh, the outdoor stuff come from? Actually, after you tell me how the rest of the family is doing. Yeah, so mom and dad are good. The brother, Seth, actually has two kids now. So I think my parents are really in their element of being grandparents. It's kind of like, especially Michelle, my mom loves being a grandma. And she's awesome at it. The kids adore her. Oh, <laughs> and no they're doubt. So and, you know, I have three grandchildren myself. Wow. And another one on the way from my daughters. But no, I can identify with your parents, man. It's a game changer. And you're an aunt. Oh, it, it, that's, I, I agree. Like, it's kind of like the similar, like you get to have the kids and have fun with them. And then when they start crying or poop, you give them back. <laughs> <laughs> poop. Ah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no doubt. You know, we get them. Uh, I'm like the the play doctor, you know, but when they get cranky and tired, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I don't like seeing them leave, even if they're cranky, you know, especially now because time is not the same as it was with the virus. But hey, I, I know we're smiling and, you know, family's everything. So, Tell me about Ethan and uh, not to make you uncomfortable and, uh, about talking about Ethan, but uh, and his challenge. But I'm 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 bringing it up so that perhaps we can bring more 
prayer warriors to the table for <laughs> even, you know. So my for people that don't know, my nephew who's four years old has stage four neuroblastoma cancer. He was diagnosed with that in November of 2018. So it's been two years of us fighting that. Mm. And um he went into remission last March and very quickly got re-diagnosed with it. And then um actually maybe a week ago had a scan that was like deemed uh, disease free. So he's doing really well right now. He's right currently cancer free and hopefully the next scans. Yeah. So that he has a broken femur. So he's just, he's actually in a wheelchair all the time and tells me every day that I'm like, that he's faster than me. I love it. Like he's poor (laughs) and he has a competitive spirit. (laughs) Oh man. That's a hollerman. Yeah. (laughs) I was making sure to tell me he's faster in his wheelchair than I am. And he's, pretty good at moving that thing so (laughs) we'll see yeah but he's yeah yeah, he's doing really well the family's doing well I think there were some hard times in there when he got you know re-diagnosed and COVID started and all of that was all in the same bundle so I think that was really tough for everyone Uh, no question and I can't say I uh, you know what it would be like and and no one would want that uh, experience coming to your front door, uh, front row center, you know, and, and, uh, yeah. And that, that's a crazy thing about COVID and the virus is that the rest of life continues with its challenges. And then you have to like deal with, what do you mean? I can't go to the hospital, you know, uh, yeah. and, and visit and, but yeah, so life goes on in so many other ways. Uh, and we have to adjust every time we turn around. T- tell us a little bit about how hard that was for you, uh, you know, to carry on your game and and what you needed to do in your life with that going on, never leaving your heart and your mind. Um, so another thing is my nephew's name is Ethan Shane. So when I was in my car accident, two of my brothers passed away. And he's named after them. So their names were Ethan and Shane. So he was kind of came into our family as kind of a symbol of healing for us. And then for him to go through this, it's been really hard, but also like to see that strength again, to see someone like so strong and powerful, it's been like one of the most motivating things in my life. Cause as a basketball player, that was always something that has been really important to me is like, playing for my brothers and being a part of them. And actually like, like my uh, injury day was my first time ever putting on a USA Jersey. So kind of the link of that and how basketball is tied in like August 10th is when I was injured and we were, that was our first, my first game with you guys. So yeah, it's cool. (laughs) Wow, man. I love it. And then like being able to have another symbol of like something to push myself to get better. And he's like, uh, my chair right now is purple and yellow because that's neuroblastoma cancer like colors. So I can remember him every time I get on the court and play there because basketball is the thing that takes us away from our family. It's the thing that helps us work through those, those hard times. It's, I mean, when you're in between the lines, you don't think about anything other than that. It's kind of like meditative healing. It's a great way to work through our emotions, but at the same time, like it's taking me away from my family. So I can't be with them when they're struggling. And I kind of have to feel like an outsider to such a hard situation, especially now that I'm in Spain and I really can't like, I'm very, very far away right now, but it's been like hard being kind of on that outside of it. But also he gives me a lot of strength and encouragement and it's just kind of a role model for me, which is strange to say of a four year old. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, I totally, I totally get it. And uh, when you said that the colors of that cancer, was it anything like these colors? Uh, <laughs> the purple and yellow uh, world champion Lakers? Uh, no, or like I'm, the Minnesota Vikings? Uh, Minnesota Vikings. And yeah. Uh, but no, I, so many God shots are coming out of your mouth right now, you, you, you know, uh, with about Seth and, and his inspiration and being a role model about the day of your injury, putting on your USA jersey and you're born on D- 
December 25th, Christmas Day. What a present to the world. Uh, so <laughs> there's so many things that are woven in here that have some spirituality totally wrapped into it. Uh, I love I love you, Rose. Um, tell me about your outdoor uh, passion and where that came from, from fishing and or, uh, you know, I know your family hunts. I think you do maybe a little bit or mm, I've, mostly I've a, fish a little bit, but. It's hard since I've moved away to have the time to to hunt going back home. But I grew up, I'm a small town girl. So I grew up like five miles outside of a town of 500 people in Southern Minnesota. And my brother was always into it. My parents are really cool. And whatever their kids are into, they get into too. <laughs> you know this from yeah, my family, yeah. family. Absolutely. So yeah, my slowly but surely, my brother convinced my dad to get into hunting and fishing. And we live on a lake. So it's just... Like our world is outside. Even during the cold winters, we were always outside. Like I said, I grew up with three older brothers. So I had to be, you know, rolling in the mud, being competitive with them. I think that's where I got my fire from was all of that. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know. I love the outdoors. Yeah. And I love that connection. We, we were able to pass some fish photos back and forth, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just another side of us that we can share. And, uh, you know, I totally uh, appreciate that. Um, so, you know, I want everybody that's listening really to take a moment and hear what uh, Rose said. You know, she has uh, lost a, a couple brothers and uh, and then but take this moment to pray for Ethan uh, for the healing power for that little spirit that is an encourager and a a warrior at at such a young age. Just take a moment. Myself and the Hollerman family will totally be uh, indebted for that prayer. Uh, So look, you have, uh, you've had a path where you went juniors, college, national teams, professional in Spain, with juniors, what were your dreams like and have they matched up to kind of where you're at now? Or what did you dream about as a junior, uh, like for your future? Actually, yeah, it's, I think I've always kind of dreamed of going and playing in college and then getting to play overseas. And because I think when I was in high school is when going overseas started to become really, really big, where a lot of the guys were coming over here. So I... Definitely, this was one of the biggest dreams for me. Obviously, winning a Paralympic medal is the dream. Also, if anyone that's competing at that level wants to win a gold medal. So definitely feeling extremely grateful to have the opportunity to be over here playing and playing professionally and especially grateful that I got to play at the college division and play on a women's team and be competitive there because that. I mean, women's teams, college women's teams haven't been a lot around for very often. And actually it was came into UTA only on the second year of it. So I think in terms of goals, I'm very grateful. COVID gives you time to reflect. And that was something definitely that came out of it is I feel very blessed and grateful. Yeah, yeah, it shows, Rose. It definitely <laughs> shows. Uh, let me step back. What was it like when you heard your name called? <laughs> to make the team for London in 2012. Take take us back to that young girl, 16, and boom, USA on her chest. Uh, well, when I went to my first tryout in 2011, I kind of thought like, why are they sending this? Like, why am I going here? I don't belong here. I shouldn't be here. And then I think, like as the camp started going on, I was like, oh, I can actually push and play with people. I was having fun. I was so young. I was in 2011. I was actually only 15 when I made my first team. So I was just having fun and enjoying myself being there. But I never thought for a second that I was going to actually make the team until, you know, the people around me started telling me, like, I remember Sarah Castle was my roommate and her kind of telling me at the tryout, like, 
I actually think like Rosie, you could make the team like you might. And I just, it, it didn't, you know, <laughs> I think I was so shocked by it all that during the circle, when the names were being called off that I didn't really get that my name was called until the girl next to me, like reached over and grabbed my hand and squeezed really hard. And, and even after that, I didn't, cause you know, during those, you always have your head down and eyes closed and you don't really realize until afterwards Yeah, that yeah. it happened. Oh, big time. Uh, gosh, <laughs> it, it, that's a really tough moment as a head coach, you know, because one, I can be elated for the youthful joy that you can see in in your world and face, but then you also see those uh, names uh, and people that you really care and love also that did not make it. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's even for a player that side by side, we're all emotionally attached in this process. So it's, it's just a crazy time. And it, it's good when you can just move past it and start playing and bond as a team. Uh, but I did, you know, as I told you, I've done done a little research. I love talking to players and coaches about my guests. And uh, I got a little something, something from that lefty from uh, Wisconsin, like uh, wow. a Murray, you know, one of the greatest ever to play, if not possibly the greatest. But yeah. Uh, the greatest yeah there we go rose is a great player but she is even a better person i've enjoyed watching rose grow into a wonderful woman that she has become as much as rose looked up to me i absolutely adored her as well rose always brought positive vibes to the team and i enjoyed her youthfulness as well when you get to be a veteran player rose it's a (laughs) Great reminder to see younger players really take in the experience of being at an event such as the Paralympics. And it makes you stop and step back from the competition aspect and really enjoy the moment like she always would, meaning you. One thing I will never forget about Rose is that she is such a thoughtful and giving teammate in person. I'm really happy that I got to play with her on the USA national team and experience winning a gold medal together. Uh, life-changing, life-bonding, never friends forever from the gold medal moment. Uh, never change, Rose. You are extraordinary just the way you are. No, Becca. One thing that I know about Rose that some may not is that she gives the world's greatest hugs. <laughs> what do you think? Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, talking to Jay, uh, Nelms, coach Nelms, UTA, uh, you know, he talked about your first year. Talk about that transition, which I can imagine is, uh, difficult for anybody. Uh, what was that like for you? Um, that first year. It was, Definitely a struggle. I kind of, that first year, I mean, there were one, there was only six of us on a team and there were six of us. We were new to basketball. We were new to each other. We had actually a very great group of girls, but I think I just had such a high expectation. I was stubborn and kind of bullheaded and extremely competitive. And I think at that young age, I didn't exactly know how to contain all of the fire inside of my soul. (laughs) And I think like at moments we would clash and we would fight and like really pushed each other. And I think it was a really hard year, but it ended up being a good year. We kind of like, we ended up last that year, <laughs> but we, we gave it a, a shot. We won some games that we shouldn't have. We lost to the team that went on to win um, the championship game by only three, which that was a huge accomplishment for us, even if it was a loss. And then we also ended up beating Illinois that year. So I think we, we definitely had our difficulties and struggles, but I think we had a group of girls that were able to push each other in a way that like ended up making us better. Cause that same group went on to win uh, the championship that next year. Oh, congratulations. And was that the only one or did you get another? I got two. Yeah. Yeah, man. There's just nothing like that experience, you know, going to war and, uh, 
you know, and being successful, especially in the transition, because, you know, you were a new, the women's program at UTA was new and, uh, and they brought you to be a, you know, kind of in the efforts of build it and they will come. And I think they built it around you. And, uh, so congrats. And, uh, so, but Jay said you totally rededicated yourself the second year and then became a leader and one of the more dedicated and passionate players that he'd seen come through his program. Uh, yeah. Talk about that second year and that rededication uh, to the game think, and academics. Yeah, academically that first year, I was definitely not focused. I I just didn't, I wanted to be there for basketball and I I ended up, I mean, my first semester of college, I got like a 2.0 GPA and then kind of like it was, a, you know, got knocked on my butt, realized that I had to be more serious about ba- uh, academics. But in terms of basketball, I think we, as an athlete, you always have the goal. I want to be the best. And once you hit a certain level, you give yourself the goal. I want to be the best in the world. And you kind of start being so competitive in a way that you I'll, I'll do anything. I'll work as hard as I have to be. I'll, I'll do whatever I can to try to get to that, that position where I can, you know, stake a claim at least at that, that, you know, best in the world title. And I think like when I first came into UTA, I, I, I had that ambition and I thought of it in a very selfish way. Like I want to be the best. So I have to do this and I have to be here and I have to score this point. I have to make this pass and I have to do that. And then after the first year kind of getting, I mean, basketball and academically kicked on my butt that I realized that in basketball, it's a team sport. So nothing I can, I'm nothing I do can be selfish. Everything has to be for my team and has to be for my teammates. And just kind of like having Jay to guide me into realizing that if you want to be the best, you have to be giving more to your teammates than you're giving to yourself. And you have to always kind of have the like Becca is a great example of that. Becca is one of the most unselfish players I've ever played with, but she's also in my eyes, the best female player I've ever seen. And I think that idea like gave me more motivation and turned me into a better teammate and a leader, but I needed to kind of get humbled in order to realize that. And then academically, I, I just started taking school more serious. And then I ended up falling in love with it. I love academics. It was something that in high school, I never had that passion. And my first year of college, I didn't have that passion. And then once I started being told that I had to try a little bit and it was challenging and difficult for me, I ended up falling in love with studying and learning and just like pushing myself physically and mentally. Yeah. Well, that's good. And if there's any one thing that would make transition for another athlete uh, young from the junior division and, and or for their parents uh, a smoother transition what what would you suggest to uh, that junior and that parent you know how, how could it be how could it be a smoother transition uh, and what's automatically difficult in college, the yeah. most difficult part about college as a student athlete is time management. So trying to figure out a way to, because in, in high school, you're told how to manage your time. And then in college, no one tells you like how to manage your time, what to study and what to do. So it kind of is put on yourself to figure out time management. And I think like my first year, also the first semester is supposed to be hard it's supposed to be a struggle because you're, you're not only going, you're like going into a higher education than you just were in high school. And you're also going and living on your, by yourself for the first time. And practices are more strenuous than you've been like three hours, at least a day. And then just management, time management. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you, you know, that's just uh, powerful. I mean, I mean, and it says it in two words, you know, but mm-hmm. everything's changing and different. Uh, you're, you know, like you pointed out, uh, it should be difficult also, as you said, Rose. But uh, yeah, so Jay, uh, 
God, he just thinks the world of you and, and anybody that's coached you feels that way. But uh, he, he said that there's no moment too big for you. And uh, that's quite a thing to be said uh, and believe from a head coach. And, uh, you know, how do you feel hearing that? Hmm. I, I don't know. Bashful. <laughs> Bashful. Humble. I, yeah, humble. I adore Jay as well. I, he has had such a big impact on my game and has really pushed me to be where I am today. I think he's amazing and one of the best coaches in the world, just the way he sees the game, the way he, you know, pushes his athletes and just kind of the trust he always had in me was always motivating to me and awesome. It's great to hear him say that. Yeah. Well, good, good. Let's, let's talk about moments. You know, there we are in 2012 and a game on the line in the semifinal, Uh, your teammate Desiree Miller, uh, has no choice but to foul and pick up her fifth and uh, and uh, has to come out. And I'm looking down the bench and I uh, I holler your name. And your head pops out and you take a half push. Did he call my name? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, your eyes were in my opinion, got a little bit big at the, yeah. at that moment. You came in and uh, why don't you describe the rest of it from your side of it? We're playing Australia and there's literally only seconds left. Yeah, uh, definitely. I knew this was going to come up, by the way, DK. <laughs> this- <laughs> well, good. Uh, I guess so come in. Desi falls out kind of, I, I know you, my eyes were big, but I knew when Desi fouled out that it was my, I had to go in. It was my turn to go. That, that was the lineup change. And so kind of semifinal down by a tie game and Amber shooting a free throw or down by one. Yeah. Down by I, one, down by one and have to come in. There's what, six seconds left on the clock. Yep. Free throws missed. We get the rebound, pass it up, come up the court. I set a pick across, come down the middle, miss a layup. No, 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 no. I mean, well, go ahead and finish. <laughs> missed, I guess a jump shot, a middle jumper. Elena gets the rebound, catches it, puts it back up, but they call no rim on my shot. So no shot clock reset. Shot clock expired before the game clock that had 0.6 on it. And basically, Australia turned the ball, like grabbed the ball, threw it in. Uh, clock expires. Pandemonium, game over. Yeah. Uh, do you no remember what I said to you as you came by me? I don't remember what you said to me, but I remember what Mary Allison said to me. I don't know if you remember that. Like, because I was 16 years old and felt like right. I just lost the semifinal game of the Paralympics. And I remember like Mary Allison grabbing me in and telling me like, you can take this moment and you can turn it into the, like the power of the rest of your career. You can take this and you can mope about it, or you can take this and turn it into. Yeah. Defining moment rose. And, uh, (laughs) but I kind of meant when you came by me to go into the game I said, you can do this, just giving you a little encouragement. And let me just replay this uh, so that, you know, you came in and and yeah, you did. It was kind of a high low. I think Nat threw, got the pass into you into the middle. And uh, I've watched it a million times on video. You got you got rocked. You were on one wheel when you took the shot. And wasn't a layup. It was kind of like a, a just a little loop de la about four feet from the hole, and uh, and it laid up there. Uh, you sh- you should have got to the line because it was a foul. And then you know, and I wasn't bringing this up as a moment that you did not answer the bell. You know, yeah. You I know you went in. There. I know who I was asking to go in, and. Uh, you know, I, I think 
you know, it defined at how you were able to handle that and even the team in some, some sense. Um, you, you know, we look back and we felt like we won that game. Uh, but yet that's just sport, you know, it, the, the, the joys and the heartbreak, you know, but fortunately for the women's program, you guys came back in Rio and, and uh, you took that title back. Uh, so let's, uh, how would you describe your work ethic now uh, to, you know, a lot of juniors and or college players that are kind of wondering, I wonder what Rose does to get and improve her game. Um, I mean, I, I play basketball full time, so it's kind of, it's exactly that it's my full time thing. It, in terms of, I mean, obviously with COVID, I'm not on the court as much as I would like. I would like to be shooting every single morning, lifting every day and having a two, three hour practice every day. But right now we're limited to just three times a week of yeah. court time for shooting. But all right, let me let me just you, you don't like talking about yourself uh, and and I get it because I you know I don't I don't like to it's a team game and whenever we start separating talking about me or I and that kind of thing but Jay believes uh, and so does Trooper that you your work ethic is uh, way elite and um, and I think for any any athlete that's at the top or near the top of the food chain that that's just got to be a common thread. You know, you're not going to get to that place on talent alone, undeveloped, um, Mm -hmm. which you have plenty of, but I think that, you know, you can relate to maybe that the training part and, and the, the regimen and, the solo time that you put in is so full in itself. And I love training, you know, and, and, yeah. and uh, I love being in a gym by myself or uh, with others. Uh, I think it's fair. Like we all love basketball. Of course, I, I love scrimmage. Ask anyone, ask Trooper how much I love scrimmage. Oh. But <laughs> Really, the I would, like I, I would say all of us athletes that like reach a certain level, we have this intense love for that completely by myself, me and the basketball, just like yeah. always wanting to just you and the ball. There's something about you, the ball and that hoop that just I think all of us are just, you know, we're in a relationship with that hoop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're yeah, absolutely right. You know, one thing that's, you know, some people say they oh I hope I could make a Paralympic team and so a lot of people have great starting power but what they don't have is staying power you know stay to that long arduous path of of training and sacrifice uh you know road trips away from family uh pile on all your academics or whatever else you have to do in your life and deal with like, like, uh, Ethan, you know, and, and managing and trying to love your way through that, uh, when you don't understand it. So, uh, there's a lot to it. Uh, now I'm going to jump and let you guess who this is from. (laughs) There are shooters and there are scores. Rose is both. If she's pulling up for a transitional three or working off a low pointer seal, Rose's movement and decision making is precise. In the post, she is clever and patient in clearing space and finding matchups. On the perimeter, she demands defenses to bring the three help, opening easy seals for the weak side. Don't jump her and you'll pay the price. The only way to defend Rose Hollerman is to commit to pushing her out from the wings for four quarters. Really tough ask. Rose is humble, keeps a smile on her face and is respectful of the game. I'll always have time for her. Mm. Who do you think that is? 
J. Pardon? Is it J or Trooper? Nope. Doug? I don't mm, know. No. But. I don't know, Mike Baller? Ha, no, that is uh, Miles Thompson. Oh, Miles. Yeah, yeah. You're another one of your coaches that you've impacted, that watched you grow up. And, uh, you know, just uh, I knew it would mean a lot to you if yeah. uh, if Miles chimed in because uh, he moved on and played against you. And uh, uh, so he knows you from being on the court with and against. Uh, I should have known it was your bestie. <laughs> <laughs> you're a little yeah, like man we 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 uh we are definitely attached at the hip well uh, and then there's coach trooper johnson uh embrace your awesomeness i've never heard him say that before well uh, <laughs> he he said it to me to tell you uh he believes that you can be the best in the world and that you're very close uh and i think you mentioned that that does mean something to you. You mentioned it earlier. Um, in what way does that that drive you to to try to be, you know, what always ends up to be subjective, but yet in our hearts as an athlete, we want to be the very best. How does that how does that work for you? Um, I mean, it's it's kind of the thing on the days when I don't want to go to the gym that you know, will motivate me to get there to like, to be there when I feel like, I mean, that's, that's the goal. Like I, you know, obviously as a team sport athlete, your goal is to always to win, but the best way that I can like the individually, the best that I can do is try to be the best in the world so that my team has the best shot to win. So I think that's always been the goal. I don't know. Like when I was younger, I think, when I first started the sport, maybe someone said it to me and I decided then when I was six years old that that's what was going to happen and that's where I wanted to go. So ever since it's been the kind of the thing that I'm searching for and trying to reach for and why I, I sacrifice so much and keep following the the little round ball thing. <laughs> uh, well, Rose, you, you know, as you said, you're 10 years in and it's really hard to believe, but yet you're only 25. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You in Trooper's mind. And when he brought it up, I said, yeah, you're, you're right. And, and I know Jay would think the same. Miles think the same. You're really in your beginning. You have this long beginning. Uh, and, and that's where you're kind of at that. Uh, there's so much room for you to achieve that goal and you are so capable uh, and, and to bring, not only bring yourself to the top, but bring your teammates and, and those units that you're going to be part of to the top with you, you know, um, and humility is, is a big, big thing, you know, a big part of it. Uh, but it seems like, it seems like you're living the dream to me, you know, uh, is there any, uh, how about the grind and, uh, and or possibility of some burnout? Uh, have you had to deal with that aspect? Yeah, I've definitely like struggled with burnout before. I think like when I was in college, there was a couple, like a year or two there where I kind of like felt like a little bit less passionate about just burnt out as you say I think like athletes in general we have to be really careful about that especially the ones of us that want to like I'm always at the court always doing extra always wanting to be at balling that like we forget that you need to take a break sometimes and when you add in the fact that like like I would say like probably when my nephew got diagnosed I went through like a year of kind of struggling with basketball because it was the thing that was taking me away from my family. So I was resentful of it. And like you said, it's, it's a lot of sacrifice. And I think maybe we don't stop loving the game or loving training, but sometimes we start to like really feel the sacrifices that we're giving up for it. And that's kind of when I've felt the burnouts. Yeah. Yeah. So any suggestion to a, 
little Rose Hollerman that's out there that uh, wants to know how to manage it? Um, it's funny that you bring up Miles because Miles is you and Miles were the coaches that would always say like when you're in between the lines, nothing else matters that like kind of remembering that basketball and at the end of the day is a game. So when you feel like stressed out about life, instead of, you know, feeling resentment towards it and treating it like a business to remember that it is a game and you can use it sometimes to just be fun with it, to scrimmage, to have fun, you know, just playing basketball. Amen. Well, let's talk about something fun with basketball, like DK three, you know, why don't you've had some experience. Why don't you tell me what you, what you really like about those events that you've participated in? There is something so like soulful and just like kindred about like USA street ball styled, just going out there and hooping basketball. Like DK three on three is an example of organized street ball, just hooping people going out there and just balling. And then even like, like I took a a break from basketball the last like two weeks because the season is nine months long. I needed a little bit of a break. So what I did during my break was I got to go play three on three, like street ball style basketball. It's like when you're, you're not doing anything other than trying to have fun and enjoy the game. And I think like, or tournaments like DK, that's like who can have the most fun with it and be successful. That's what DK is. Uh, Yeah. That really warms my heart to hear you, uh, say it like that with such feeling and uh, I would hope that others feel the same way and you and I uh, back I don't know when it was what year but you and I were on a we we won the darn thing in Dallas uh the three uh-huh. of us uh and uh you're a uh a free throw contest champion yeah, I think I've won like a, a good bit of them, DK. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least two. And uh, against all uh, the boys, this is against all men now, y'all. Yeah. This is uh, this lady coming in, and and just as I imagine in Spain, regardless of class and regardless of gender, I believe you got a spot. But look, free throws. Now I, I heard like. My personal record came when I was like 60 years old. I was still chasing the 100 mark. You know, I chased my entire career to try to make 100 consecutive, you know. And then there's Trooper always chirping in my ear about, I got 114. Of course, it's got to be 14 because everything's related to his number, you know. And I had had 106. What do you have, Rose? 118. There you go. You have beaten Trooper, DK. I don't know any other men. You know, I don't know what their records are. But to hit 100 is just almost, you never hear about it. And uh, there you go again, you know, uh, (laughs) beating uh, some of the best uh, records established by shooters in the game. gender not considered uh, so uh congratulations by the way and why do you think you missed after 118 what happened I don't know after I don't know if like so like the week weeks leading up to that I was shooting very well from the free throw line I was hitting like 50 to 75 in a row like almost every practice so, and I kept saying, like, once I hit 75, of course, I'm going to hit a hundred and was, and then like, I jinxed myself, of course. So then after that, I had like a week of getting like 78, 76 or something and just being like, not getting a hundred. So once I finally got to a hundred, I was just like, I'm going to stop right now. I'm going to go put my phone up and I'm going to stop counting. And afterwards I'll count the shots on the video. And uh. I just because I was trying to like see really how far I could take it, especially like if you're that locked into your form, you shouldn't, you shouldn't miss. (laughs) So, but I I don't know. I I think I was just like so excited about it. Yeah. Isn't that such a special moment when you're locked in like that, you know, where it's just, 
it's just effortless and it's just you know, doing the same thing. You can feel that your form and your release, everything stays the same for an abundantly long period of time. So congrats, Rose. That uh, That's, and all you men out there or whatever, and women, yes, get on the line, man. See if you can string it together like that. Uh, Look, playing in Spain is such a big deal. You're in the Canary Islands, for God's sakes. And then not many women uh, uh, are playing in Europe. Uh, are you familiar with any or many others? Uh, um, Yeah, there's definitely like a couple. So Turrigan, a team in Germany, they have two really uh, good players, a class one from the Netherlands. That's probably the best class one female in the world right now. And then okay. also Helen Freeman, a British player. Right. And then within our league. Yeah. And then within our league, there's a couple of other females that play on and off, but it is definitely feel very grateful to get the amount of playing time as I do on my team. And I think that my coaches really like utilized me as a player and put me in a really successful role for myself. That's, yeah. Well, tell me, uh, wh- what would you tell other women about the opportunity uh, that could be out there for them? To do it. I I was very skeptical. of. I always had this dream. I wanted to come over here and I had a lot of people telling me they thought I could. But it wasn't until another female from the U.S., Vanessa, came over here and was playing on a team in Europe. And when she, when she told me, like, I did it and you can do it, too, that was when I decided, like, I'm going to actually pursue, pursue that dream. Like I had the confidence in myself to do it. So I think like as women, we sometimes can second guess ourselves going in and playing with the guys. And when we do play with the guys, I think the ones that are like willing to have a chip on their shoulders. So that chip is really powerful and to just have the confidence in yourself and to embrace kind of that lioness mentality. Yeah. The soul of a lioness (laughs) that you have. What made you choose that team? Uh, It was just, so Jorge Sanchez, he went to UTA. He's also a Cali boy. He was someone that I knew and I really looked up to and he plays on this team and was really talking to me and it just seemed like a team that fit. And I liked the role the coach was telling me he wanted me to play. So I just took a chance, thought it was the best fit and came over (laughs) Yeah, man, it sounds like it. And no accident that Martin Luther King Day and I had a dream. Uh, (laughs) We are all feeling your dream and uh, a little bit jealous of it, too. Uh, So I know I'm just going to run through. I know you're a very you're big on gratitude. You know, I I stalked your Facebook and uh, (laughs) You know, uh, I'm grateful for family and lessons learned. I'm I'm grateful for playing my favorite sport every day, playing with teammates, USA, UTA, Grand Canaria, my island family of friends. I think gratitude is something that's often overlooked in our world of wheelchair basketball to just uh, be playing the game we love. But uh Rose, we're getting to the end now, and I, I always try to end with, uh, uh, you know, something related to uh, what's going on in our world and how we might impact it uh, and be an agent of change. Uh, how do you think we can uh, amplify change related to social injustice and, and specifically maybe to women's empowerment? in uh in our world and in in sport uh in terms of women i think darlene hunter has hit it right on the nail is like kind of doing a women's camp during the summer where it's all scholarship based she brings everyone in and they get to partake in the camp i think we can even go a little bit further and just like giving out scholarships to minorities to come to USA camps or come to development camps and kind of paying their way and trying to get a lot of, a lot more people involved. Cause right now the USA team is not very diverse at all. And I think that's something that has to change and we have to kind of work to do so because wheelchair basketball is an expensive sport. So it's kind of like hockey where you have to 
push past the equipment prices. Uh, also just supporting each other. I think like women sometimes can have the tendency to put each other down. And I think it's really, really important for us to empower each other, which you see so much. That's something that playing overseas and playing with a bunch of men, the biggest thing is I've what I've noticed is like the community of women around the world that want to power empower and support each other and want to encourage everyone, like other women to do well and to get better. So I think that's the biggest thing. And then in terms of social injustice, the biggest thing for me is educating myself, making myself aware of what those injustices look like and what I can do on an individual base to make them better or to just try to help a little bit and not be arrogant or ignorant of what's going on around me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> um, that's so important, Rose. And, uh, you know, here, here we are. Uh, I, I had a lot more I wanted to kind of go through, but when you spin this little uh, interaction, you know, it goes in its own direction and you just, you just follow it. You don't fight it. And so uh, I'm, I'm grateful for this time. And uh, you know, the fact that we talked more than just basketball and, and, and your public, your, uh, the guests that will be listening now have a, a deeper insight to the real you. And that's, that's all I could hope for. So, um, anyways, here we are, we're at the end of the podcast and I'm going to tell our listeners to jump on this once we launch it and, uh, be a good person as you've seen exactly what it's like through Rose Hollerman's eyes. <laughs> Love you, Rose. Peace. It was nice. Peace. Yeah. All right. All the love. I hope you enjoyed today's show on the Wheelprint Podcast. I invite you to check out our other episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Special thanks to Dromos Agency for the teamwork in producing this podcast and Performax Wheelchairs, the sweet ride.